Alright, we're in Job chapter 15 tonight. Job chapter 15 as we uh, continue through this book. And uh, Job is, um, obviously, we're all familiar with his suffering and the hard time that he's going through. So tonight I want to talk about that as Eliphaz, his friend, uh, one of the friends, is uh, starting his round two of talking to Job. I read this, I think this is interesting facts here, a two-foot bar of steel is worth $12. And when it is wrought into horseshoes, it's worth $100. When it is made into knife blade, it's worth $32,000. If it's wrought into springs for watches, it's worth $250. What a beating that bar has to take to get fashioned into those different things. But the more it is passed through the fire, hammered, beaten, pounded, polished, all those things, the more value. And this is what we see in the Christian life. A lot of times it involves some suffering. It involves some hard times. And we see this in Job. But the, the ones who suffer the most are often capable of yielding the most fruit for God. It is through pain that God can get the most out of us. This is how he molds us and shapes us. It is through pain that we come forth as gold, as the prophets. I, I want to read you this, the... Uh, John Stott wrote this. I thought this is uh, really good. The mark of suffering. In a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian count countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, eyes detached from the agonies of the world. Or eyes, I'm sorry, eyes closed, a ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to look away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerable thirsty. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. God plunged him into darkness. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of His. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. I'm glad I serve a Savior who understands my suffering. Someone who has been through what we have been through, and of course, much more than what we go through. And so, uh, what is that old adage, never judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes? That way you're a mile away and he has no shoes. So, you know, that's another way of looking at it. But, but uh, the point being, we, we uh, want to understand someone before we judge him. Well, Jesus did walk a mile in us. He did walk the life we did. And so, uh, praise the Lord for that. But anyway, so here with Job, we're, we're entering the second round of debate between Job and his three friends. And you would think that maybe by now they've, they've each taken a turn pummeling him verbally, beating on him more. You know, this is what you do when somebody is suffering, has lost everything in their life. They're sitting there ridden with disease and, and uh, they're at the lowest point in their life. Let's come in, all three friends, and take turns kicking on him for a while. That's what they did. Now, Job has spent three chapters refuting everything they're saying. He's trying to beg for some mercy, really, from them, trying to uh, excuse his own self and saying, you know, it's not wickedness I've done. And uh, so you'd think maybe they would get a little, they'd ease up a little bit. But that is absolutely not the case. In fact, uh, here he, in chapter 15, he still doesn't give a word of hope or help. When life caves in, you don't re need reasons, you need comfort. 
You don't need answers. You need someone. And Jesus doesn't come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with His presence. And that is such a comfort to us. But that wasn't these guys. They came with pontification. They came with great wisdom. They're going to pour down on Job. And uh, so let's, let's read some verses and we'll work through it. In fact, I won't read too many because we're going to work through them as we go anyway. Then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, should a, man, should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with the unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou can't cast us off fear and thou restraintest prayer before God. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own mouth condemneth thee. And not I, yea, mine own lips testify against thee. Art thou the first man that was born, or was thou made before the hills? <laughs> just want to pop this guy in his mouth. I mean, what a sarcastic thing to say. You think you're, you're the first guy born? You think you're older than the hill? In other words, remember, age is uh, synonymous with wisdom in this day. And so uh, this is their, they're just putting a little plug again. Hast thou heard the secret of God, and dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? All right. We'll, we'll drop it there and then we'll pick up as we go. But I want to look at uh, kind of into two parts here. First, he starts off with the criticism of Job. He's very severe in his criticism of Job. He's very blunt in his criticism. And he criticizes five aspects of Job I want to look at here in the next few minutes here. Eliphaz sharply denounces, first of all, Job's speeches or his discourses. That, uh, everything Job has said up to this point. He says that they were inappropriate, they were inane, they were inadequate. Uh, the inappropriateness is seen in verse 2. Should a wise man utter vain knowledge? Uh, he is saying here that Job was not a wise man. A wise man would not talk the way that Job did. And uh, so wise men speak wisdom, but Job, he says, spoke vain knowledge. So he's kind of putting a slam on him that way. And then the inner, inner inaneness here. Fill his belly with the east wind. Now, the east wind was a hot wind, so what he's essentially saying here is we would look at somebody today and say you're full of hot air, you know, like Democratic National Convention, a lot of hot air. All right, so uh, this is where, uh, that's basically what he's saying here. He has, uh, saying you're full of the east wind or you're full of hot air. Uh, we use that expression today still to describe someone who, uh, whose speech or words are foolish. And then look at the inadequacy of his discourse. Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good. Uh, Eliphaz is saying basically he's of no value, no profit. Evalu uh, uh, profit as in P-R-O-F-I-T. There's no profit in what he says. He believes that Job, uh, what he says is inadequate. And by the way, he could have said that about his own speeches too. But uh, he thinks so highly of himself. Eliphaz, in fact, we'll see this in a minute, but just the pride and the, the it just drips off of him how sanctimonious he thinks he is. And uh, that bothers me with anybody. So the discourses, then he talks about the devotion of Job. Look at verse 4. Yea, thou castest off fear and restraint, restraintest prayer before God. Restrainest. Eliphaz here criticizes him concerning his devotion to God. His lack of reverence. You castest off God. This fear uh, speaks of a... Uh, castest off fear, I'm sorry. It speaks of a reverential fear of God, saying you have no fear of God. Now, you remember last week we were talking about Job. I'm going to go to God. What happens, happens. If I die, I die. Uh, he had a lot of re respect and reverence for God. This is absolutely, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely out of line for Lephus to make this claim, but he does anyway. And then his lack of reflection. Now, 
restrain us prayer before God. The word prayer uh, translated here from a Hebrew word meaning meditation. In fact, it's translated meditation twice in the Bible in Psalm 119.97 and verse 99. So he accuses him of lacking spiritual meditation. Of course, he's wrong. We've seen that already so far in the book. And then the defilement. Now, he plainly condemns Job, and he's not shy about it. Look at the what he says about his iniquity. Verse 5. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity. Uh, he says he has a bad mouth. Uh, some of, By the way, some of Job's words were off. We were talking about this today, actually. Uh, Brother Nick and I were discussing Job, talking about this tonight. And uh, he did say some things that were off. But Job, as we've talked about, said things from his pain, not his conviction. Haven't you ever been suffering and in bad pain and you say things you might not normally say uh, that, that come from a place of suffering? Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it good, but we can understand it. So he did maybe uh, bring that on himself a little bit. Then he talks about the deficiency of Job. Now, Eliphaz is just belittling Job uh, on and on here. Now, this is often, by the way, a tactic of people who do not have the evidence to condemn people. Have you noticed this? When you get in an argument with somebody and uh, then they resort to name-calling, I've always thought if you're in an argument with somebody and they resort to name-calling, you've won the argument pretty much. They, they don't have facts anymore. Now they're just going to... You know, it went all the way when uh, you were in kindergarten and all they had is, well, you're a fatty. You remember that? When you had to, you were real small, they started with the insults. Well, when you start with the insults, then usually you've won the argument. But uh, if they can belittle a person, they think that helps them to gain credibility, makes their accusations weightier so they think and more believable. Kids in grade school do, do this. The uh, news anchors do this a lot on <laughs> the table when you watch the news. Uh, constantly belittling each other, calling each other names. But sadly, people in churches do this too. <coughs> Christians do that. In fact, you say it many times, but Christians often been said Christians are the only army that shoot their wounded, that kick their people when they're down. And uh, of course, we're not the only do that, but sometimes it seems like that's a problem. We certainly shouldn't do that. Job should have had supporters, not people to come and uh, beat on him verbally. But in the absence of actual credible, credible evidence, often people resort to name-calling. Listen to the depths here that Eliphaz goes to, verse number 7. He says that Job is not senior. Art thou the first man that was born, or wast thou made before the hills? Now, Job doesn't claim to be senior toward anybody. Why is this important, by the way? Uh, today, it's not necessarily, you know, here they're saying, Job, you're not that old. Well, that old means that wise. So wisdom and age, they, they really make that synonymous. And uh, still is true for many people, but not always. But he sarcastically mocks him here acting like Job thinks he's the first man born. You think you're smarter than anyone else, he's saying. Job is also not schooled, he said. Not senior, he's not schooled. Look at verse 8. Hast thou heard the secret of God? Now, do you remember chapter 4? Eliphaz's first speech, and he saw that vision, he said, and so he feels that he was special, and, and he's got knowledge that nobody else has, and now he asks Job that, hast thou heard the secret of God? You could add there, like me, you know, because I'm special. And he, this, again, sanctimony is dripping off of him this whole chapter. And so he feels he had this secret vision that gave him special knowledge, and now he feels superior uh, to Job because of it. And so he reminds him, I've heard from God. You need to listen to me. All right, look at verse 8. He also talks about Job not being superior. Dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? 
Job made a similar sarcastic accusation a while back concerning his friends in chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. No doubt your people and wisdom shall die with you. You know, you're so smart that when you're gone, nobody will know anything because all the answers reside with you guys. That's what he's basically saying. So I guess that that probably stung Eliphaz a little bit. Now he's coming back with it. <coughs> so you're not better than I am. Well, so what? You're not better than I am. Who makes the call, by the way, ultimately? Remember the disciples? You remember the night before Jesus died? They're in the upper room. The disciples have an argument about who's... Can you imagine Jesus about to give his life for the salvation of mankind? His disciples are arguing is the greatest. That's when he got up quietly and goes over to the other side of the room and he gets a little water and he gets a, a towel and he starts to wash his disciples. You talk about an object. You were just arguing about which one of you and now the greatest is watching it. That was, was really good at driving home. And he drove that point home real clear. But why do we do that? Why do we decide, try to figure out who's the best or who's the greatest? That's what they were doing here, playing this who's on first game. All right, and That's what the disciples did. Sometimes we do that, and we shouldn't. It is a fruitless effort, because I can tell you, friends, the only one that really matters is God and what he thinks, where we rank with him. And if we try to live to please one, it's a lot easier than trying to live to please everybody and try to build ourselves up over everybody else. Let's just live to please one, and it'll help. Now, here... This, this is good. This gets... This gets I, I want to go back in time just so I can slap these guys. The more I read through the book of Job, these guys are really frustrated. So Eliphaz here accuses Job of despising. So he talks about the despising of Job here. Despising the counsel given to him by his three friends. Now, this is rich. This is really rich. Wouldn't you despise their counsel? It was horrible. Everything they've done so far is awful in how they speak to Job. Remember, every one of them... Job's ten kids got killed, and every one of them so far has said, Job, your kids got what they had coming to. Don't you, uh, why are you despising our counsel? Yet, why do you think? But the worst thing you can do to a self-righteous person is ignore them. You can fight with them, they like that. But you ignore them, and that's what Job is doing here, and he's very offended. Now, here's, here's something that's fascinating. We've got to dig just a little bit. But we get something that's really good here. H have you ever had someone act or think they were helping you but they were actually being very rude or hurtful. But they, in, even in, maybe in their own mind, they thought they were helping you, or maybe they were just acting that way uh, to try to be above board. In Job 15.11, look at the verse here. Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Now, consolations is the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. Now, there, there seems to be two separate thoughts in this verse, but there isn't, and you're, I'm going, I'm getting like major feedback here, Caleb. I don't know, it's like bouncing in my head. Okay, there seems to be two separate thoughts, but the original clears it up. The verse as a whole here is saying that these consolations were given in a gentle manner. Let me show you what I mean. The clarification comes from the word secret in that verse. Verse 11, uh, the word shows up five times in the Old Testament, only in this verse is it translated secret. Uh, it's translated gently in 2 Samuel 18, 5. It's, it's translated softly in three different places, Genesis, 1 Kings, Isaiah. So gently, softly, that has the idea. I don't know what I've got going on here, but it's driving me. I'll just take it off if I need to. All right, so th this is what this guy's saying, and this is just kills me. So he's basically saying, Job, after all I've done to help you, I've been so gentle... We've been so kind. We've uh, tried to console you. And you're acting like this. Uh, 
if there's any time, I think, in the whole book that Job's hands were kind of forming into the shape of a neck, you know, get him. Uh, this is the this is the time because I know because as I was reading this, my hands were kind of shaping into the form of a neck because what a what a pompous thing for him to say. They've been beating on Job, sitting there in boils all, all over his body. Uh, he's been sitting there, uh, has lost everything in his life, and these three so-called friends show up. They've been beating on him for fifteen chapters, and then he says. Job, we just don't understand. We've done all this for you, and we've his consolation was so gentle with you, like saying that your your kids all desire died because they deserved it. I just it just amazes uh, how people can do this, and and I've seen it. You've probably seen it too. Uh, it it uh, after all all that we've done, and and then they're shocked when when things don't work out. So what are you going to do? It, it is good for us to remember not to be guilty of that ourselves. That's all we can do. I mean, I can't do anything about somebody else thinking that way. But I certainly want myself not to uh, ever get to the point where I'm being hurtful, being helpful. Job, Job is absolutely justified in despising them. Now, let's move on. Eliphaz criticizes Job again in verse 12. Why doth thine heart carry thee away? This is, he's, he's uh, basically accusing him of being arrogant. He sees pride in Job's comment. Again, that's rich. After all the pride Eliphaz is showing, and he says, Job's being proud. And then the anger in the dishonoring. What do thine eyes wink at? The words wink in this text indicate, well, we know what that is, being flippant. You know, we don't care. We're just being uh, flippant about the whole thing. And then he says in verse 13, thou turnest thy spirit against God. He really lays it on Job here. He says that Job is angry. And then uh, Job is turning against God. But Job has not turned against God. He has asked some questions, continue to ask some questions. He hasn't turned against God. Uh, in fact, you remember the great phrase in the beginning of the book when he said, naked I was born, naked will I return. What is the name of the what a What an, a great attitude to have. And uh, so he hasn't turned on God, although he has had some questions, as we all would if we would lose all of our wealth, all of our family, all of our health, and everything. And we'd be sitting beside a campfire scraping our soars with a piece of uh, pottery, I think we'd all have some questions. He stood by the graves of our tent. Well, he does, and, and so, understandably so, he has, he has still yet to turn on God. Look at verse 13. We get there, that, that, that thou turnest thy spirit against God, not true, and lettest such words go out of thy mouth. So he accuses Job of using harsh and bitter words against God, dishonors him. Now again, Job did use some strong language. He did have some questions, but uh, it helps us to remember that uh, where it came from. I believe it came from a place of pain and not from a place of uh, where he actually changed his convictions about God. So let's, uh, let's just have some patience. We're hurting. We need to have some. Then when we're the ones hurting, we need to be careful to say it. Sometimes taken. It. But Job's attitude towards God is much better than what his friends realize, even though his some of his. It uh, next section of this chapter is talking about the curse on Job, and there's twenty. I can't quite do this evening. And uh, come back next. We'll talk about. Thank you for being here this evening. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage. Uh, a lot of things we can learn, and uh, the really neat thing about the Bible is we can learn how to things. But sometimes we see how to not do things as well, and we certainly see that in these three friends. We pray that we uh, just be better in comforters and helps those around us. <coughs> we pray you'd help each one of us throughout the rest of this. All right. God bless you. <coughs>